My name is Sarah and this is my podcast. It's called Magnetic North and it's all stuff that I've written. Some of it is autobiographical, some of it's written as performance and some of it is both. This one is called A Matter of Life. I hope you like it. Now I know you're not going to die, I can go back to wanting to kill you. By the look on his face, I can tell that I've said it out loud. Does that mean you're pleased? He asks. It's somewhat of a relief, I reply. He looks at me smugly, the way he usually does when he thinks I'm still holding a candle for him. The only candle I am likely to hold for him is the one I used to light a stick of dynamite forcibly shoved up his self-satisfied arse. I look at him to check I haven't said that one out loud too. He still looks smug, so my guess is no. It's a relief because our daughter can start breathing normally again. Yeah, he says. She's been really worried, isn't she? Oh, bless her little heart. Again. The smug face, as if the palpable horror and day-on-day agony of a ten-year-old girl was a personal recommendation of his prowess as a dad. It was not his fault that he was diagnosed with cancer in the middle of a global pandemic. But for fuck's sake, does he need to choose this moment to unveil the full force of his irritating Mockney rebel persona? Okay, so it's a persona I found endearing for a very brief period of time, sometime around 2010, but the fact remains, it's a very bad fit for the son of a head teacher with a similar background and upbringing as my resolutely RP'd self. He looks at me with what I recognise as his attempt to be appealing. Slight smile, eyes wide. Biggest bluest, I used to call it. One of our in-jokes about how he was able to get round me using a mixture of easygoing humour and a pair of extraordinarily blue eyes. Biggest bluest for the fucking clueless. What? I snap at him, knowing there's an unreasonable and full-on bloody piss-take of a request coming up. Well, he wheedles, his voice rising and falling in what I can only assume is what he believes to be an appealing manner. Now I'm in remission and now people can meet up. I want to meet up with some people in the park and maybe play some music. She hasn't been able to see you in months. She really wants to see you. Fuck's sake, I could have died. I would have referred him to my earlier comment, but instead I said, yeah, yes. I think that may be why she wants to see you. It is interesting that he says he could have died because at no stage in this entire bloody awful experience has he ever expressed even the slightest suggestion that he would do anything other than get better. Impressive, really. I think about the little girl who'd sat silently on the end of the bed whilst her father had lain there, too sick to move 
in a hastily organised spare bedroom at our house. Combing through the Covid regs to protect him and us, crossing my fingers, I bubbled us up. He seriously couldn't have been left in his messy, dirty flat in that state and there was no one else to step in. Our girlie was glad to have him there. Perhaps glad is not the word. An image of her pale and stricken face sears its way forward once more. It seems he's still speaking. He has a habit of asking the same question over and over until he gets the response he desires. I tune back in. So what do you say? I respond with, oh, do whatever you like. Except do whatever you like is probably the most pointless thing of all to say, as it's an odds-on certainty that he will always do exactly what he likes. Are you sure? You don't mind? Another odds-on certainty is that he will then try and make it sound like he's taking me up on my kind offer, doing me a favour, as it were. Actually, I say, I'm not sure, and I do mind. Go and collect your daughter from school. I thoroughly enjoy watching the expression of faux bonhomie slide from his face. What? He says, jaw slack, eyes glaring. I look at him. He's much, much thinner. The skin on his neck is a purplish red, the texture rough and flaky, from the radiation, I suppose. The tops of his ears are almost crispy looking, a bit like bacon. I relent. Nothing, love, go and have fun. Cheers, he says, the chirpy, chappy version of himself restored. Why don't you come along? You could sing a couple. We could dust off our repertoire. Our repertoire is way past anything that can be achieved with a duster. I remind him that I can't because I'll be looking after our daughter. Oh yeah, he shrugs, laughing, turns away and leaves. Heading towards the park in the watery sunshine to bang out some songs with his beloved and battered 12-string guitar. The guitar that, he once told me, a previous ex took great pleasure in repeatedly banging against a wall. She was a total psycho, he said, by way of explanation. Cost her a packet to get that neck fixed. <laughs> I remember being quite shocked when he told me. Shocked that she could be so wantonly destructive. Towards the end of my relationship with the wandering wastrel, I was more shocked at her restraint and the fact that she coughed up for the no doubt well-deserved damage to perhaps the only thing the waster actually truly loves, other than himself, of course. I walk towards the primary school to collect my girlie. She's been attending pretty much all the way through the pandemic on account of my status as an essential worker. Not frontline NHS, God bless them, without whom none of this would be possible, not only fighting a deadly virus in the hospitals, but blasting the tumours of feckless, shiftless and hopeless beloved fathers of ten-year-old little girls. Again, I experience the tidal wave of relief for the fact that I don't have to tell her that her father has died and stand helpless in the face of that grief. baby it is a shame but he was feeling very tired so he's resting and I get extra girly time Yay! 
extra girly time is the time when I look after our daughter when she's meant to be with her dad. EGT, extra girly time, is usually heralded in by a phone call on the Saturday morning of a weekend. What are you doing? Nothing much. It's your girly weekend, so I'm having a lie-in. I might do some housework, watch TV, you know. The world's my oyster. I trail off, waiting for his pitch to start. So you've got no plans? Uh, cause something's come up and, uh... He trails off, hoping I'll jump in and offer. I stay silent. I stay silent because I realise that the chances are that our girlie is stood patiently at his side, while he explains the many reasons why he can't look after her. Again. Bring her over! I say, loud enough for her to hear at his end. Extra girly time for me! Yay! Are you sure? He says, generosity itself, now he's got what he wants. Only if it's no trouble. I'd love it! I roar. She's never any trouble and we can have an adventure. Adventure, the word for adventure used by the girly from her early days of speaking the word which is now part of our family vocabulary. Let's have an adventure. Fish and chips and we'll watch a film on the internet. And yes, you can choose. The girlie bounces a bit at the suggestion of fried food and the possibility of a studio ghibli. And I get a pang of guilt knowing I've opted for grease and anime indoors when I should have chosen homemade in the great outdoors but I can't risk bumping into Daddy Dearest on the lash in the park with his mates. That, and I can't be asked. We set off for home when my phone rings in my bag. Fishing it out, I see it's him. None of those bastards are up for it, he says. You're feeling better, I yell over him. Yes, of course you can come and see Girlie. Said Girlie is jumping up and down, demanding the phone. So I hand over the phone and she strides off ahead of me, jabbering excitedly. Eventually she returns. Gabbling, she thrusts the phone at me. Dad says he'll have fish and chips and mushy peas. And she skips off. I'm glad you're not dead, is what I say into the phone. So I can go back to planning how I'm going to kill you, is what I don't. <laughs>